Now, before turning to uh, that last section of Hebrews that we're going to look at for a few minutes this morning, let's bow our heads again together in prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we uh, ask and pray that you would bless us as we uh, turn to uh, your word. We thank you that it's not a dead word, that it is a living word, that it, uh, your spirit will take that word and apply it to our lives. And we know that we all come today um, with different needs, uh, different spiritual needs, uh, different experiences, different emotions, different levels of faith, sometimes with no faith at all. And we ask and pray that the loveliness of Jesus Christ and the grace of God would be made very clear to us in our lives, that we would be able to persevere, that we would be able to be passionate, that we would keep going in our faith. Bless us today, we pray. We thank you for this time of year. We thank you for Easter and for all the hope and joy and new life that it uh, represents. We thank you for um, the children in the church, for their uh, being on holiday for this next while. We pray that it would be refreshing and relaxing and uh, reviving for them as kids and also good fun. We pray for their parents and for the families. We pray for all our uh, people today, young and old, uh, our individuals and our uh, families. And we pray and ask, Lord God, that you would bless them all, bless us all. Uh, bless those who are visiting with us today. We thank you for the rich uh, encouragement and blessing that having their presence among us means uh, to us. And we pray that they would enjoy their company, uh, the company of God's people with us. And we would fellowship together in Jesus' name. And we thank you for we Joshua today. Uh, we thank you for his safe arrival. And uh, we rejoice in his uh, presence with us here today. And for Andy and Emma being here, we pray your blessing on them. That you would protect them and guide them and keep them. And uh, we thank you for all the new life that we have seen in the congregation in these last few day days and weeks and months. And uh, for the uh, wonder of... Uh, the covenant and of uh, ongoing uh, life and of gifts and talents and grace uh, that we can uh, share and uh, teach and live uh, among our children. We thank you for all the children that we do have, that we have taken vows for both as uh, parents and also within the congregation. May this be like a family to them. Continue with us then, we ask, and speak to us from your word. Uh, and go before us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to look uh, for a little while this morning to the last section of Hebrews, that section from really from verse 20 to the end. So it's a short section, and uh, hear you all saying that means it'll be a short sermon. Uh, so let's hope so. Um, and we'll see how we got on. But conclusions are always really important, aren't they? Uh, they're important in letters, they're important in films, uh, they're important generally when we leave people. We like to leave on good terms, we like to say farewell, and uh, we want these things to uh, be good. And uh, the conclusion of this letter is no different. It focuses on what's important and what has been important uh, right through the letter. And what's good is it really fits in well as uh, with uh, our 750 prayer, which is great, because the emphasis of this passage is prayer, and uh, so we've been praying together, um, and we're at that stage, uh, we're up, uh, does anyone know what day we're on? Could anyone just, 29, well done, 
I had it in my notes, but I just seen if anyone. We're on day 29, so we're past halfway of 50 days of prayer uh, with their partners, and uh, and sometimes there's a lull in that middle section, and people are away, and things are difficult. But uh, I hope that the, the the sermon today as well will encourage us to continue praying, uh, to remember that what was the writer to the Hebrews' encouragement to that people is an encouragement to us to keep on praying and uh, to know that that is the key for us in the transformation that we're looking for in our lives. Um, So that's important uh, that we recognize that. He finishes this section with prayer. There's two kind of elements here to the prayers. There's personal prayer and there's also spiritual prayer. Not that there's such a thing as unspiritual prayer, if you know what I mean. But I'll I'll explain what I mean uh, when we get to that. But uh, the first thing is it's personal, isn't it? when you read this, you think, oh, I really, w-. well, maybe you don't, but um, sometimes you might think, well, I really wonder who this guy was. We, we actually don't know who the writer to the Hebrews, uh, we're not told who, as many people we conjecture it's Paul, but we don't know. It's not told us, but he had this relationship with his people, this uh, Jewish Christian people. Uh, and uh, we can see that. And when we read it, you know, it's personal. He's using the first person. I particularly urge you to pray. Pray for me. He talks about another friend, Timothy, who's coming along. And it's very personal. It's this letter, this book to the Hebrew people, and this end section reminds us that it's not an academic treatise. What you have here is not just something theological that has been given from the academy from uh, the, the educational hierarchy. This is a pastoral letter. And it's a pastoral letter where the writer asks for prayer as well as promises prayer. So it's very important to him because prayer is significant. He, you know, in verse, that's why we read 18 again. Pray for us, he says. Pray for me particularly that I may be restored to you soon. So it's personal prayer. And... Uh, um, as part of 750 prayer, as leaders, we're looking for prayer from you guys for us. We would make the same plea as the writer to the Hebrews. Pray for us. Pray for us in our leadership because we will be praying for you. It's part of, of some of the themes from the bookmarks that we pray for one another as a church. And so he then also gives a little bit of news so he ends it with a letter, really, I guess it ends with a, a benediction, uh, verses 20 and 21. That would really be the benediction. That would be what you would regard to be the end. And he says, Amen. But then he gives some personal information. You know, you know stick with it, he says. Stick with it. Stick with what I've told you. It's important. And uh, uh, I'm telling you about Timothy. He's been in prison, but he's hoping to be released. And we'll come in. He's giving them a plan for the future, a strategy for what they might do. And then he brings greetings. Asks for, uh, sends greetings and also brings greetings for the church in Italy. Uh, probably the church in Rome. Grace be with you all. So it's, it's personal. He's informing them so that their prayers will be informed. So that the people would have got together and said, well, that's great. Let's pray that Timothy gets out of prison. And let's pray that uh, the writer, who they know, who we don't know, will be, will be restored soon. And uh, they shared these in- pieces of information so that they could pray for one another. And that's a great thing, isn't it, that we do for one another? 
that we are able to share our own lives with one another. It's what we're driving towards here all the time, that we can share our lives so that we will have the confidence to pray with uh, one another. I'll come back to that in a moment. So it's not an academic treatise that we have here. It's very real. It's very tangible. I know it's a long time ago, but it's God's living word that's been breathed into this uh, letter and that it remains relevant and significant for us as God's living word for us. So it's a personal prayer. And as a personal prayer, the language of that prayer is the language of grace. Uh, Grace uh, be with you all, he says at the very end of that uh, section. And uh, the whole letter that we've looked at, which is focused on Jesus Christ, has been in the language of grace. Now that's very interesting. Because it's a new language that you learn, that I have to learn and you have to learn. I don't know how good you are at languages. I'm terrible at languages. Um, You may be very good at languages, but this is a different language. This is the language of grace. And you don't know this language by nature. You weren't born with this language. Uh, This language is something that we begin to learn, we begin to speak it when we're born again when we're reborn, when we become Christians, we begin to speak differently. Now that, I mean that physically. Uh, Well, I don't mean in the intonation of our, well, maybe sometimes in the intonation, but I mean the type of things we say, the way we respond, the way we speak to people, the way we correspond is different because uh, we have a new language in this new kingdom of which we are citizens, and it's the language of grace. And it's a language we share often through prayer. How can we pray for grace in someone else's life if we don't know it ourselves? Wouldn't that be strange? Is that a challenge to you today? You're praying for someone else and for grace in their lives? But do you know that language? Would it be like speaking in tongues? That you don't know what you're saying? How can it be that we speak of grace or pray of grace if we don't know it and pray for it in others. If we are prayerless, we're graceless because grace and prayer come together. It's the first language of the community of grace, uh, of the community of grace, sorry, the community of prayer, the community of, of, of the gospel is the language of grace. We speak to one another, but uh, we also pray for and pray with uh, one another. It's one of the key elements of the Christian faith is that move from isolation and independence towards community and towards uh, fellowship. It's a move away from loneliness towards uh, fellowship in Christ. And grace is the language. It's the mark. Uh, Prayer. Uh, for and, and with uh, and to one another, uh, to Christ for one another, is a mark of uh, grace. That's why 750 isn't a gimmick, you know. It's not just something to do around this time of year or any time of year. It's something that we hope will imbibe within us a, a huge sense of uh, this language of grace, which is prayer for and with uh, one another. Sets us apart. It's a new language. 
So this uh, personal prayer is, is, is a language of grace. It's real. And it's also, I think I mentioned this before, it's, uh, it's shared. It's, it's a real shared uh, adventure together. Here the writer is sharing with, uh, not only is he sharing with uh, this people his requests and his movements so that they can pray for him and what he hopes to do, but he's also sharing with them uh, Christ-centered truth. So he gives this benediction, which we'll come on to just in a second. And he, it's a God-focused sharing. You know, so often our sharing in prayer for one another is absolutely practical. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. But it's also good to share biblical truth and biblical reality about Jesus Christ with one another, saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you might know the God of peace in your heart, and so on, as we'll come on to look at. So it's shared. It's something that's vocalized and shared. And, you know, I've said this a lot from here because I've known it as probably the most encouraging thing in my own life when people will say to me, you know, I've prayed, I'm praying for you about this. I'm praying that you'll know a little bit more about Christ in this way. I'm praying for your plans. I prayed for you this morning. Always good, isn't it? To know that people are praying for us. Isn't it a great step out of individualism and out of self-centeredness? That we take that step and we move out of it. And we move uh, into this place where we are serving one another by praying for uh, one another and telling each other we are doing so. It's a big cultural shift for us. It's not a a great shift in some places, uh, but it is for us. I think it's a great... we We are closed books... Our heart, we don't share much uh, from ourselves. Um, last Saturday at the missions conference, uh, we were in a seminar together, and Rosie was speaking about being in Peru and being in the church uh, there, and how different it was from here, where people were very open about prayer, and people prayed very uh, uh, passionately, but uh, very ordinarily. It was just part of everyday life. It was part of everyday life in the school and in the church, and it was people prayed for one another. And it's this great language that it would be good for us to learn more openly uh, with one another. So it was a personal prayer. But it was also a spiritual prayer. That is, there was, there was a biblical uh, uh, theological content in the prayer. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Because you come to that little section in the middle, 20 and 21. Now it's a, a benediction. That is offered up here. Uh, invocation. Uh, it's asking God to bless uh, the people. That's sometimes what, I would, what we do at the end of the service, at the benediction. But it's still a prayer, but it is focused on uh, God blessing uh, others. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant uh, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every, everything good for doing his will. And may his work in us... Uh, May he work, sorry, in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's this benediction, this uh, uh, good intention that is offered to uh, the people of God prayerfully. And it's important, isn't it? Because it tells us what the writer to the Hebrews wants to leave with this people. This is what I want to leave you with. You know, that's significant, isn't it? If, you, if you've got one, you know, what's the last thing you want to say before you leave? 
If you have only one thing left to say, what will it be? If you might never see these people again by, in God's um, purpose and plan, something will happen, you never see them again. What would it be that you want to leave them with? You want to leave them with this personal relationship and also these uh, amazing truths about God, significant truth about God. And isn't that important that he wants us also to have that same significant truth? Uh, I think, well, I'll come on to that. So, the first thing he says is that God is a God of peace. Then he says God is a God of power. And then he says that God is a God of provision. And that's what he wants to leave. Sorry, I know, I don't usually alliterate my three points, nor do I usually have deliberately three points, but it just came in a flash. And so I had to go with it. Uh, So, I didn't twist things just to make it start with a P. So, it's a God of peace, okay? May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, and so on. And what is important here is uh, what the writer is meaning when he speaks about the God of peace. He's not primarily saying that uh, you're going to have an easy, peaceful life, a God who brings peace at a, can I say, a horizontal level. That's not primarily what he's speaking of here. Uh, This was a people in turmoil. This was a people who were being persecuted and martyred for their faith. It's not so much that peace, which is a blessing of God nonetheless, but he's speaking here not of so much of horizontal peace, but the, the fundamental and deeper um, vertical relationship that they know through Jesus Christ that's been reestablished between God and his people. You see, the God of peace through the blood of the covenant brought back through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's pointing forward to, it's pointing to what Jesus, or pointing back to what Jesus has done. And that's the peace he's speaking about. It's the peace that's been reestablished. Sin brought dispeace into your life and into mine. You were born with dispeace. I was born with dispeace. So a, a separation from God and problems and difficulties and Uh, conflict with one another. That's the world in which we live, isn't it? And that's the world that God comes in to to re-establish peace between vertically, between ourselves and God, dealing with the thing, the primary nature, rebellious nature against God that we have, dealing with it, uh, that sets us against God, that makes us uh, 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 recipients of God's anger and God's just wrath. And he deals with that through Jesus Christ. So when he speaks about the God of peace, he's getting to the very heart of our lives. The very heart of your life. The very heart of your life and mine is this need to be one with God through Jesus Christ. To be forgiven and to be renewed and to be dealing with the remaining dispeace that's there. The remaining rebellion that says, I'm not have you to rule over me, God. I want to do my own thing. The remaining rebellion that says, I'm not interested in other people and in the gospel of grace. I want to be Lord of my own life. These things he comes to deal with and uh, he is the God of peace. You know, we see that dispeace, don't we? From the very beginning, the Bible makes that clear. Right from the beginning, bang, we have that clearly. So Adam blames Eve. There's dispeace, never having been dispeace uh, before. Then Cain kills Abel. Murder right from the very beginning. Testing, problems, difficulties, uh, violence, hatred, bitterness, lying, cheating. It's all the dispeace that comes from not being right 
uh, with God and been forgiven by God. So whatever else is wrong in this world, whatever else is wrong in your life today that you may come to church with and complain about your poverty or uh, the way other people in the church have treated you or the rubbish ministry you're used to or whatever it might be in your life, whatever it is, there's a more fundamental peace that needs to be focused on, that God of peace, whatever else is wrong, whatever injustice we see and in poverty we see and suffering. And I'm not belittling these things. Still, the primary answer is the blood of the eternal covenant. Because until we deal with our sins before God, we remain at enmity with God. And Jesus Christ has come to offer us his peace, his forgiveness, his life, and his transformation. Now that is relevant for all of us. The transformation that comes from the, the peace that God brings in our hearts. When I said that it's primarily a vertical peace, I didn't mean it was impractical, and I didn't mean it was uh, uh, just theoretical. It has major implications, but unless our heart is right with God, everything else we're doing is on the surface. Everything else we're doing is not transforming what we are like from the inside out. We need our hearts changed. I was reading an interesting article this week by a guy called Jared Wilson, who was talking about uh, poverty. And there's a movement in a lot of, uh, well, there's, there's Christian movements to alleviating poverty uh, as the gospel, that the gospel is the alleviation of poverty, good news for the poor. Now, that may be a result of the gospel, and it may be a practical outworking of the gospel, but it isn't the gospel. And what he says is interesting. He says, justice for the poor is in revealing that poverty is no hindrance to gaining the treasure of all-surpassing worth. So even if we alleviate people's poverty, and I'm not saying that's not a laudable thing to do, it is not the gospel. The gospel is that even in people's poverty and lostness, they can find the uh, all-surpassing treasure and worth of Jesus Christ. That is for them the good news. The good news isn't that they will become rich if uh, they believe in this gospel. The good news is that in their poverty even, they can know spiritual riches by faith. And that's a very important truth. Because if we simply just say to people that the good news for the poor is that they uh, no longer need to be poor, then we, there's no need for faith in that. That's simply a sociological movement. There's no need for the gospel in that. The gospel is that even in the most dire circumstances, people can know the surpassing wealth of Christ and of forgiveness and of hope. But of course that means that we, uh, in our gospel and with our grace, seek uh, to share with and help and ultimately alleviate poverty also. Good news is this peace vertically with God. Nothing material is the answer to people's spiritual needs. So when we struggle, maybe you're struggling today with material issues, health issues, career issues, relationship issues, money issues. None of them are insignificant, but none of them are fundamentally what you need. You need 
and I need to know the peace of God that transcends understanding through the, eternal co- the blood of the eternal covenant. That is good news. That is peace with God. As we get old and as life passes quickly, that is great good news. Do you know that peace? You have maybe said you're a Christian for a long time. Do you know that peace? The relationship with God, the forgiveness, the hope, and the future is a God of peace, and uh, the writer wants to stress that. It's also a God of power. May this God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ. So the resurrection morning, Sunday morning, is always resurrection morning. It's when what we do and how we listen and how we worship and how we sing and how we pray, it should be full of power and life because it's on this resurrection day. It's not a dead faith we have and it's not a dead saviour. This Sunday morning is always a reminder that God is more powerful than the grave and more powerful than death and he has given and shown victory over death by raising or or showing his um, acceptance and his delight with what Jesus achieved on the cross by raising him uh, from the dead and setting him at the right hand of the Father. There's never any doubt that that would be the case. There's never any doubt in uh, the power of God and in the pleasure of God at his own purpose and his own plans. But it's revealed to us, and the resurrection is living power of God. Life is power, isn't it? You think you have life, you think you have power, and when you have life, don't we? If I take out the battery of this and it's dead, it's because there's no life in it. It's useless. The power, the Judicial power, is in the life that it gives. Power is in life, isn't it? And we long to be alive and to always be alive. And yet the irony of this world in which we live is that we live in an arena of death all around us. And it has destructive power, far more power than you are able to or I am able to deal with. We can stave off the effects of death. We can delay it, uh, humanly speaking, but it's coming to us all. And uh, it will be relentless in its power. In the history of mankind, with all the sophistication we have, we have never been able to break the power and the relentlessness of death. God alone is able to do that. And he has reversed its effects. And uh, he has shown his power finally on the cross. Death separates us finally from God unless uh, we recognize the power of God. So your Christian life today and mine is a miracle. It's a wonderful thing. Don't breeze into the Christian life and breeze into the Christian worship thinking you're ordinary or plain that nothing really special has happened. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the power of God transformed you and me from death to life, radically moving where we were from a desperate place, a place of dispeace to a place of peace and life. And whatever turmoil we're in today, please remember that because that's what the writer wants to focus on. 
He doesn't focus on He doesn't even focus on the persecution and the impending martyrdom there. He focuses on what they have that nothing, including martyrdom, will take away from them. It's April. Maybe maybe you're tempted to give up the Christian faith in April. It's been a long, hard winter. Nothing's happening. And it's much easier just to spend hours on Facebook. You're tempted just to give up praying and thinking. And tempted to give up following because... It seems that God's so powerless. And I think that is because we have a 21st century idol here in Scotland in the Christian church. And it's an idol which is that God is absolutely impotent. God is powerless. That is the idol that we worship. We worship a powerless God. We don't believe that he's able to change our lives or other people's lives. And we need to break that by reminding ourselves on this resurrection day that he's a God of power. God, God of peace, God of power. And lastly, and very briefly, a God of provision. Who brought back from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, who will equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for and ever and ever. Amen. It's great, isn't it? That this is a God who gives us peace, who is a God who provides power to transform our lives and to change our circumstances. And uh, he's a God of provision. He provides for us Christ. Uh, It's interesting that that the Spirit isn't mentioned here because I think they're interchangeably uh, recognized, Christ and the Spirit and the Father recognized in Trinitarian terms. But here we're told that Christ is the one who works in us and who is our great high, uh, sorry, our great shepherd the great shepherd of the sheep. So God in his provision, remember Jesus in John 17 when he says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come back uh, among you. And uh, uh, he dwells in us and he's called you the great shepherd. He loves, this picture of the shepherd, I don't know if that's your picture of Jesus, it's your picture of God, shepherd who loves us, who cares for us, who feeds us, who leads us who rebukes us, who corrects us, who trains us in righteousness, but who ultimately lays down his life for us. That is the motive, that is the God that we have. The God who is our great shepherd. And our life in him is protected. So you've come to church today and Jesus has been watching over you as you've walked to church because he is the shepherd. He's your loving shepherd. He's listened to your cries today. He's listened to your Uh, sense of injustice. He's listened to your doubts and fears. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He cares and will bring you home. That is our Savior. And as we are told there, he is tasked with perfecting us. So you might not think there's any change in your life since last week, as I might not think there's any change in mine. But he is equipping us. That is the word there for equipping is really the word that you would use of a master craftsman restoring something, repairing something, bringing something back to its pristine condition. So what he's doing is he is uh, giving us all that we need to be the people that we were created to be, that we were lost and broken uh, and uh, distant from him. Now, it's, it's, it's a lifelong restoration. It's an immediate uh, 
uh, adoption and it's, it's an immediate belonging and it's immediate forgiveness and peace, but it's a lifelong process that he works with us in bringing us, equipping us and bringing us back to pristine condition, to doing the kind of things he wants us to do that will make our life pleasing to him. Isn't that great? That he molds and transforms us so that we will want to do what he wants. We will please him. You know, when you love someone, it's such a great thing, isn't it? When we please them. Because we love doing that. And he is saying, that's my task. I'm restoring you. I'm uh, repairing you. I'm bringing you back to that condition where you're beautiful to me. And where you do the things because you want to do the things that I want you to do. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So we look for these same truths to share in our own prayer lives for one another, but primarily to think about for ourselves, to know this God of peace, this God of power, and this God who provides for us in most remarkable ways uh, keep on going. Christ is much better. That's been the theme of Hebrews. The theme of Hebrews is that there is, there's a better country that we belong to as citizens and we're heading to as Christians. Life is very short, even for the youngest of us here. It's very short. And God wants us to have that eternal perspective that reminds us of keeping on, keeping on. And if you don't know Jesus, that you will, you will not go to bed one more time without finding him. That you will plead with him to reveal himself. That you will ask him to show you your own heart and to show you your own need. And that you will make your peace with God today. There is nothing greater than, you, than that that you need to do today. I'm not sure what's your own agenda for the rest of the day, but I guarantee, absolutely, 100%, there's nothing more important, if you're not a Christian, than for you to make your peace with God through Jesus Christ, through his gift of salvation, uh, through the eternal, uh, the blood of the eternal covenant that uh, is revealed in the gospel. Please consider that. I beg you to consider making your peace with God today and as believers for us to live out what it means to know God's forgiveness and God's friendship and love in our day-to-day lives. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father God, help us, we pray. Teach us, we pray. Lead us, we ask. Grant us that knowledge of your peace. When maybe like the, uh, the, the top of the ocean The surface of the ocean may seem to be wild in our lives. It may seem to be stormy and um, crazy. May we remember as we dive deep into that ocean how calm and peaceful it is down below. May our lives be like that even though sometimes there may be storms and um, sense of wildness on on the surface that we can't necessarily understand. May we know that deep-seated peace and forgiveness, and transformation, and hope that comes from knowing this great Savior, Jesus, who loves us, and who laid down his life for us. 
May these spiritual truths be the foundation of our lives. May we not be tossed around with every wind of doctrine or every change in our circumstances. But may Christ be given the honor, the praise, and the glory. Help us to live out these things and know the difference they make to us. And may we be uh, persevering and persevering in prayer for one another, uh, in our partners, and as a congregation on this 27th day of prayer. Enable us to do so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.